You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 37. I'm really drawn to the idea of giving people the the most freedom that they can have. For me, blockchain is a freedom-enabling technology. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Hello. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Uh, Before I begin today, I want to tell you about Swarm 6.0. You know, as many of you know, Swarm is Foursquare's life-logging app. It has the functionality that made Foursquare famous. It's the check-in so that you can remember where you've been. It also helps you run into people that you like if you happen to be nearby. You know, this has happened to me several times. Well, the great Swarm team over at Foursquare has put out a new version uh, very recently in the last week, and they did it while I was on my six weeks of leave. So isn't that great? It's like the world moves on without me. Progress. It's called Swarm 6.0, and you can get it by downloading Swarm in your app store or upgrading Swarm if you already have it. It adds the power, I'm sorry, it adds the superpower of Foursquare recommendations to the Swarm app. And you know I personally built that up and saw to it that we have the best recommendations in the world. That's why I joined Foursquare seven and a half years ago to begin with. I just wanted to be able to find the best sandwich wherever I went, and I knew that I was the one who knew enough about location and machine learning to do that. And you could even go to uh, episode three, where I speak to my collaborator on this, Stephanie Yang, about how we did it. Now, Swarm 6.0 also has more syncing with the uh, City Guide app, the Foursquare City Guide app. You can save places for later, get more tips on what to do, uh, what to order once you get there, and more you know, social features so you can see which of your friends have been to the place as well. Swarm is a lot of fun. Yes, people still use it. Yes, it's still going strong after all these years. Improve your nights out, improve your social life, and most importantly, be able to bring back those memories years and years later. It's called Swarm, Swarm 6.0. Download it today. Now on to our show. I'm so excited to get to interview today uh, Naomi Brockwell, a maker of videos, producer of national television, and defender of blockchain. If you haven't heard of Naomi Brockwell, well, you have to listen to this. But before we do, I just want to celebrate another milestone for the local maximum. Came a couple days ago, we surpassed 10,000 plays. And so it's exciting. Yes, it's still modest by podcast standards, but this show continues to grow. And I think this is a milestone worth celebrating or at least worth mentioning. Okay, so now on to Naomi. I really wanted to first find out how she blended her interest in video and audio and, and media and the, you know, the, the fight for cryptocurrency, uh, uh, the fight for a cryptocurrency and blockchain future at the same time. You know, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of cynicism out there saying that you have to sell out if you go into media or if you go into crypto and blockchain, you're kind of relegated to the edges of society, although that's kind of, that's changed a lot recently. And this interview helps to dispel that. And more on the meteor side of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, media, meteor, not media, the meteor side, the, 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 how it all is going to work. We didn't get into the technicals of it, but we talked about its implications for the world economic system, what it means for how people save money, how it can help improve global cooperation. This stuff in my opinion, this stuff is hopeful. This stuff is fascinating. And I'm going to keep doing these episodes to hammer it home how big of a shift this really is or really has been and really is going to be. Naomi Brockwell is a film and television producer. 
and the host of the show, Bitcoin, Blockchain, and the Technologies of Our Future. If you listen to this podcast, you could probably get that one on the same platform. She is a producer for Stossel, a producer for the TV series Hard Fork, and formerly produced the, for the Fox Business Network and the Fox News Channel. Naomi is also the co-founder of the Soho Forum. Uh, that's actually a debate series that I attend occasionally, so we'll get into that. And she's on the advisory council at the Mancal Economic Education Foundation. You can check out her videos daily at youtube.com slash Naomi Brockwell TV. All right, Naomi, welcome to the show. Welcome to the local maximum. Thank you so much for having me on. It's lovely to be here. I saw you last night at the Soho Forum moderating a debate. That seemed pretty uh, intense. Uh, were you expecting that? <laughs> that's, that's one way to put it. I, I definitely was expecting that. I think that a debate on capitalism versus socialism is uh, bound to get some some pretty intense people on both sides. So I knew that it would. Uh, I knew that it would be a lot of fireworks, and um, and I'm glad that people had a lot of fun. I think it's so important to be able to discuss these issues and not have them shut down. So I'm glad that people could take the conversation as uh, in a more lighthearted way. Um, while also really delving deep into fundamental issues at stake. I learned a tremendous amount, as I always do at these debates. Yeah, I saw you reading at the end, like the upcoming debates. One of them was very like anti crypto and i saw you like smile like uh you made a face and i was like yeah i know you're not liking that <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know it's funny i uh, when i read out that so like we're, we're dealing with capitalism versus socialism there was one about racism there's then i read something about cryptocurrency and the audience boos and i'm like whoa you guys really feel strongly about this yeah um and it's funny because crypto has just become so pervasive and it's I, I it, four years ago, you know, one year ago, it just it just wasn't like this, and yeah. so it's really wonderful to see it just evolve, and it's very exciting uh, to see see it evolve to actually get to a place where an, an audience at a at a debate series gets really excited when they when they hear the word and they they kind of want to defend it. So it's definitely right. a new world. Right. All right. So I want to get into your work on the uh, Bitcoin and blockchain space in a little bit. But I want to start by talking about your media career, because I know I know you're an actor, a dancer. You love to make videos. Um, and one thing that caught my attention was that you said in one interview that you got started with making short video, short videos with your friends when you were younger. So I was wondering, can you tell me about your first video or the earliest one that that matters to you? Oh gosh! I mean, I for as long as I remember, I've been making making videos. I when I was in high school in, in year twelve, I actually used to keep a camera in my locker at school, and I used to take it out at lunch times and film my friends. Um, so it it was something that I always loved because at the time I just wanted to capture things as memories. I just yeah. wanted to be able to look back and say you know, remember when we did this, I know how easy it is for, for memory to, to change as, as you get older, for memories to become invented, to memories to, you, you re-remember something so much that what you're now re-remembering has nothing to do with what you initially, um, what you initially experienced. So I love the idea of capturing moments on film. And, um, and so I would, I, I, I have so many tapes from, from my high school days. Well, what's one um, thing that you did that sta that stands out in your mind? 
I mean, there's nothing that stands out in my mind. I, I had a great time in high school just capturing time with my friends. So that in general oh, uh, yeah. sticks, in my, sticks in my mind for sure. I um, Then when I got into, into college and early years, I would make films with a, a different set of friends and they became more sort of formulated. And, right. and so I guess my, my involvement as like a um, my work as a TV and film producer just sort of evolved from that. I've always loved the organizational side of, of filmmaking as well as the uh, the performative side. So it's uh, I've always just really, really been drawn to it. Yeah, yeah. And so I have to mention, and this is, I've never mentioned this on the show, and I know when I'm interviewing someone, I probably shouldn't talk about myself that much, but I just, <laughs> I have to, I have to talk about this because I recently went through my archives and I made a, uh, a video when I was uh, in high school because I was in like theater in high school and I made a video called The Dictator of Easton. I lived in Weston and I was like the dictator of the neighboring town taking over. And my co-host on this show, who's Aaron, uh, I haven't spoken to him about this since, but he was actually a very good narrator on the show who ended up getting caught up in the story because you can't still be narrator when the dictator takes over. So uh, it was... <laughs> I. I <laughs> I that read it. I, fun. <laughs> it. It was a lot of fun. And I took it out now many years later and I'm like, oh, it was actually, uh, it was actually pretty smart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Like, I think that filmmaking is such a great creative outlet for people because you can craft this narrative of, of anything that you want. And it just, I mean, there, there are no limitations there. So sometimes we'd make like fantasy things. Sometimes I just record right. people just to, you know, provide a, a mirror for them you know, have, show them like how they act. Sometimes I record things just because I never wanted to forget them. So I, That's um, good. I, I, I just, I just love the medium. Yes. Yeah, so I see now you have a lot of videos up on YouTube. Uh, most of which are to get the word out on Bitcoin. Uh, these go back years and there's a good mix of informational videos and kind of fun music videos. <laughs> yeah. I understand that you have a J-pop video over a hundred thousand views. So congratulations. Yeah. Right. Where did you get that idea from? Oh gosh, I'm just addicted to J-pop and anime. So, um, I mean, a lot of my what my life tends to be like me having these very niche interests and then just shoehorning them together. So, I my you know my my passion for for film production and my passion for Austrian economics and sort of led into my my passion to making videos about blockchain um, coming from like a, an economics perspective. And then, you know, my performance then led into me making music videos about crypto because they were two very <laughs> disparate but um but uh, things i had i had uh, that, that that i was interested in and kind of joined together and um and j j-pop just be kind of came one of those things where i'm like well listen i, I love j-pop it's so fun it's so bright um it's so addictive to watch. Like I just get such immense joy from seeing it. And I think that the crypto world can often be very dry and it can be very inaccessible to a lot of people. And, um, and so if I can find ways to make it more fun and more accessible and more enjoyable, perhaps someone doesn't know anything about it and this might be an introduction to them, something that they would enjoy watching because it is upbeat, because it's, um, it's musical. I want to be able to provide that bridge into this world, perhaps give them some information that could be helpful, but in a really easily digestible and uh, enjoyable way. So I, I 
do a lot of music videos that are very nerdy and cheesy. And, yeah. um, and I've had a lot of fun doing those. But then I also, for a different kind of audience, have a lot of fun doing interviews that really get in depth about what's going on in the space. So the aim is to, to provide a, a platform that's accessible to a, a wide variety of people um, and meet their, their needs in regards to blockchain. Yeah, yeah. Some of the in-depth stuff is really good because I've been trying to kind of jump into some of the you know, some of the additional papers, not just the the Bitcoin blockchain protocol, but trying to understand the other stuff going around. And it's very hard to do, you know, when you have a full time job and you try to read the paper and you're like, oh, I just don't oh, understand know, it. Right? And like, yeah. And it's very helpful to have a video out there that just uh, kind of tells you what's going on, what you need to know. Absolutely. So. I want to ask you, what compelled you to look into kind of blockchain and Bitcoin in the first place? Or what were you doing at the time and, and what led you to ultimately champion this technology? Because it's one thing to kind of become a believer uh, like, like I have, but it's an entirely different thing to say, I'm going to stick my neck out and become a spokesperson for this. So if it doesn't turn out well, I'll be on the record. Uh, how <laughs> did you get to that point? Well, I... Um... I'm really drawn to the idea of of freedom and giving people the the most freedom that they they can they can have. So for me, blockchain is a freedom enabling technology. When I first learned about it, I was really interested in Austrian economics. I was running an Austrian economics reading group with uh, Gene Epstein, who's the um, director of the Soho Forum. You saw him last right. night uh, debating. Getting and, very uh, passionate. Passionate, passionate is definitely good. That's a descriptive word. Yes. Um, But, you know, he's just as passionate about Austrian economics. And so he's a great person for, um, like, introducing me to this world. I, I really was interested in the financial crisis. I saw a lot of lives ruined there. And I just wanted to learn about, like, why it happened. I became very interested in monetary policy. That sort of led me into Rothbard's What Has the Government Done to Our Money? It led me into Hayek looking at competing currency and and just looking at at the damage that centralized banking can do because you have a lot of vested interests. You have a lot of moral hazards um, when you have have institutions that are, that are too big to fail. And so for me, I just wanted to find out, like, how do – how do we get away from this system? How do we find an alternative that doesn't doesn't hurt people? So when Bitcoin came around, um, I was right in the center of, of this, this world doing a lot of economic research. And for me, it seemed like this Hayekian prediction of, of competing currencies. Finally, there was a currency that couldn't be shut down. That was huge. I mean, you've had competing currencies before. You've had right. the Liberty Dollar. You've had eCash. You've had BitGold. You've had all of these different things, but they either haven't taken off or um, they've been shut down by government. They've been shut down by government because there was a central focal point that could be focused on by a government. You know, they could either be be leveraged, they could put people in jail. That's really terrifying, you know, that that we actually don't have the ability to have any choices in this. We're forced to use this system that hurts so many people. And, um, you know, even in a country like a, a Australia or America, where I think that the banking system is, is relatively good compared to most other countries, you're still losing at least 2% a year in savings. I look at savings and I remember when I used to think, oh, you know, I've earned this money and it's going to be there forever. I'll, I'll always have these right. savings and I can build on that. I can grow it. And then coming to this realization yeah, that- oh, actually, 0.05% interest. I know. <laughs> and, and, and not even that. In America, 0% yeah. interest plus banking fees. So the fact that I'm literally losing- That's definitely not how it was explained to me when I first learned about this as a young child. For sure. <laughs> I don't think it's 
explain to anyone. And I think it's the biggest scam in our lifetime. Like people just not hearing about this, that they're losing this money that they think they've got put away safely. Like if you just put that money under your mattress and you think, okay, you know, when I'm 80, I'm going to have this big reservoir of, of cash that can support me to old age. No, by your 80, you're going to have no purchasing power and that money is really going to be worthless. And losing 2% a year, are you kidding me? And so it just, this whole system that we're being forced into just made me so angry. And so when I first heard about Bitcoin, that we'd figured out how to make digital assets irreproducible, that we could have a currency that was distributed, decentralized and couldn't be shut down like previous digital currencies had been, that we finally had a currency that um, could cross borders. A borderless currency is huge. I love to have a global marketplace. I love being able to buy something peer-to-peer from someone in China. You know, uh, I think that it's just the most beautiful uh, means of cooperation that, that exists. So I think that I got so excited by the possibilities of this currency that I thought, okay, you know, not many people know about this right now. I need to teach them about this so we can get more people onto this seed system because this is going to give them more freedom and ultimately um, give them better lives where they're not forced to exist in this world that I think is is tremendously unfair at the moment. Um, so that's what really got me got me interested in it, and it started out from very philosophical grounding. Um, from an impetus of, of freedom and then it really grew to wow look at these smart inspiring people who are dedicating their lives to changing the world what are they doing like what are these new applications and then I just got super interested in all the different uh, applications of this tech across different I- industries and the ability to decentralize trust just has so much potential it, I just find it so exciting what are some of the applications that you are currently most interested in so I think that the killer app for blockchain is probably currency. I think that that alone is just going to fundamentally change uh, so much of, of our lives. But if you also think of the fact that we live so much of our lives on the internet right now, that the fact that we now have digital assets that can't be reproduced, I mean, that's a whole new game, right? Like before, we're used to having MP3s that we can just send to each other. You, you can press right. copy and paste, you know. You can take a screenshot, you, you copy an image, you can send someone a you, you can rip a dvd and and send that file to someone you can have an mp4 like it's just so easy to copy digital files and then suddenly someone created a digital asset that couldn't ever be reproduced you couldn't just copy and paste it i mean that's that's a revolutionary concept so for a society that is like increasingly living in the ether that is increasingly you know having everything in the house i like that word ether yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mind the pun. Yeah. Um, a society that is increasingly having like all the appliances in their home connected to the internet, a society that is spending so much more time on social media and interacting with people all across the globe to finally have a global money for a global marketplace, uh, a digital money for the digital age, a borderless money where you can interact in an entire global economy, like peer to peer. And the fact that you can have digital assets that can't be reproduced, I think that we're going to see so many different applications uh, of this going forward. And it's we're living in a really exciting time. Now, what about places that are currently unbanked? I mean, I know I've been to uh, Africa and Central America. I don't know if you've been to any of those places, but um, I, it seems like, man, it's such a good solution, but they don't have they only have like flip phones. So what do you think? Um, what do you think? Well, about first of all, you don't even need um, you don't need the Internet. To, right. 
use Bitcoin. You can use phones. In fact, I, I have someone just had a post the other day that talks about how they, they use Gotenna devices uh, where they didn't even have cell phone reception for 12 miles, but they use these devices and actually made Bitcoin transactions. So we are living in a world where we're getting um, more and more the ability to use Bitcoin and use uh, decentralized currencies and decentralized tools Um even outside of the traditional infrastructure that we have. But when you talk about like the unbanked, we immediately think of, of a lot of people in, in Africa or like you know, Nigeria where the government is just terrible and, and corrupt. Or you look at you look at places in Venezuela where they, they freeze your bank account and you can only have yeah. access to $5 a day. I think about places in America as well. You have you know companies that are dealing with medical marijuana that they don't have bank accounts. They're not allowed bank accounts. Their states are shutting down bank accounts even though it's legal in those states because they just feel they have to be compliant with federal law. And um, and so even these, these businesses that are legal entities, they're having bank accounts shut, shut down. And I think giving people back the freedom to accept payments and uh, to, to participate in uh, the global financial marketplace is so important when you do have governments that control who has access to, to lines of credit, who has access to traditional marketplaces. And I think that giving people back that freedom uh, by giving them access to cryptocurrency is just so exciting for me. I love the fact that with a, with the Bitcoin, you don't have to give them, you know, show them proof of address. You just open an account, right? You don't, if you're in a place where you don't have land titles, because again, you're, you're, the government is just really corrupt and, and it's just not possible for you to prove where you're living or they don't have the infrastructure set up. The fact that these people can use their flip phone and actually make Bitcoin transactions and still participate in that, that global economy, I think is, is just so tremendously exciting. What do you think about the idea? So when I think about the idea that you know, I just have my, I could just send out my public key. I can have it safe, secured somewhere safe here. I could be anywhere in the world and send value back there. Or I could talk to anyone, anyone in the world and they could send value back to me. Like governments will no longer be able to control whether value is leaving or entering the country. I mean, at this point, it's, you know, it's maybe small compared to the global economy. But what do you think the effect of that is going to be in the long term? Uh, overwhelmingly positive. I really dislike the idea that governments can put on capital controls. I think that they try to to, to micromanage marketplaces where they really don't have um, the ability or the, the intellectual capacity to do it. I mean, you look at how badly run things like the MTA in New York are or oh, like God. the DMV. You never go to the DMV and you're like, that's a well-run place. Well, that is a great customer experience, <laughs> you know? And yet you don't look at those places and think... Oh, that's that's great customer experience and yet we're trusting these people in government to do a great job in, in things like money supply or capital controls or price fixing or you know um, trade I, I just think that it's really misplaced trust and um, and it's 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 what what's referred to as, as the fatal conceit you know and it's just this this well-known idea that people think that 
that they understand a system and so they can control that system. The people who understand the system are the, the millions of participants in that system who are making their own individual choices. It's so it's impossible for some central authority to understand the value systems and uh, the choices and the rationale for those choices of the, the billions of people around the world. So um, creating a system that tries to, to control the flow of capital or control the flow of goods, I always think is is just crazy and i'm really excited to to have the ability to say yes if i want to you know buy a product for someone in taiwan i can do that peer to peer i don't have to go through some some clearing house that could you know deny me permission to do so i don't have to go through some some central authority that you know would take a, a cut just to cover the the bureaucratic infrastructure that they created which is entirely unnecessarily unnecessary in this age we have the technical capacity to deal peer-to-peer with people across the globe. We don't need clearing houses anymore. Sometimes they're useful. Sometimes having a central um, organizational structure can take a lot of friction out of transfers and transactions. But I think a lot of the time it's just unnecessary bureaucracy. And I would rather see my money going straight into the pockets of the, the um, people who are, who are creating the goods, you know? Um, yeah. So the more we enable that, I think the more power we're going to see be come decentralized and be given back to, to ordinary people. We've seen a tremendous shift in power structures uh, since blockchain technology has come around. And I'm really excited to see the effects of that. Yeah. Uh, I found that Bitcoin and blockchain is a, sometimes a really tough one to bring to a general audience, um, as I've you know tried to explain it on the show multiple times. It, but you've had some success in doing this to the point where you get to speak about it on national TV, on, on Stossel. Uh, what strategies have you used to, quote, sell Bitcoin to the public? And did anything you try not hit as well as you'd hoped? Well, I think that it really depends on your audience. Uh, the general term public, I think, is a bit of a misconception because everyone has different interests. Um, when I talk on television, I try to think, keep things as general as possible. And understanding the audience of the show is, is vital, obviously. Uh, but definitely just keying into what your audience is interested in, what appeals to them is vital. You have a lot of people in the blockchain space um, who are just so passionate about certain aspects of of blockchain that if you know if they are trying to appeal to someone they'll just go straight to those very jargony very technical points and a lot of people don't connect with that and, and believe um, me even i i know that and i still i get excited about something and i still go to it uh, no without even realizing that i'm doing <laughs> it like people think like oh you know those people can't you know uh, I'll never understand them. It's like, no, they get excited and then they kind of wander off. I know because I interview a lot of engineers. It's you kind of <laughs> Absolutely. bring them back. Well, I mean, it's the idea that the engineer of a car is not the person on the sales room floor, right? right. You have someone who is, is great at sales on the sales room floor because when you're selling that car, they don't necessarily care about all the different valves operating and electrical wiring and, and, and uh, all, uh, the engineering prowess of this vehicle. They're probably caring about the cup holder and whether or not the seats are heated and you know how how right. uh, how the the mirrors work and, and and having someone who specializes in communicating the ideas is so important in blockchain it's the engineers on the showroom floor they're the ones who are selling this product so i think it's vital for people in the space to understand that that it's great to get away from the very technical understanding of Bitcoin if you're dealing with modern audience, I mean mainstream audience, because most people just can't connect with those super technical ideas. They want to know 
you know, how it could save them money or they want to know how it could help people around the world or they want to know, you know, they have their own value system and they want to see how Bitcoin can fit into that value system. So understanding each person's value system is imperative before talking to them. When I talk to people on an individual basis, I really try to find something that can connect specifically with them. So they, you know, some some of my friends are, are libertarians. So I talk about the freedom element. Uh, some of them are really interested in social good. So I try to focus on how this could be a tool for social good. I obviously have my own value system. So I'm not necessarily, you know, choosing the things that I think are most important about blockchain when I'm communicating ideas. I'm trying to connect with my audience and find out like, okay, what's our common ground there? How can I get you in it, it, interested without trying to convince you, first of all, of my value system? Because that's a much harder task. Yeah, I did... Um... I think that's very good advice. Uh, can I ask you, did you know, so how long have you been working uh, on uh, the Stossel show? I started in 2015. Did you uh, know about John Stossel uh, before he came to the United States? Because I used to watch his show way back in like, you know, way back in the 90s when I was growing <laughs> up. I think that I'm in this interesting uh, position where I, I had never heard of him and people in Australia had never heard of him. And I came to America and I, I found myself in this position where you know, I'm, I'm working for this man who's won 19 Emmy Awards, who is just uh, this incredible journalist who has done more for freedom than anyone else uh, that I can think of in the media, especially. And um, and just like spreading ideas of freedom, I just think he's done such a tremendous job. And it like it quite often doesn't sink home, uh, it gets sink in uh, about uh, how how much of an impact he has had on Americans because I just didn't grow up with him. So I, I do kind of live in this naive state where maybe I should be in awe a lot more <laughs> throughout my day. Um, well, it was like, I, you know, when I was like 10, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know politics or anything, but he was the only one who would say something like, oh, why is this guy deciding and not millions of people making personal decisions? He kind of break it down for you in the way that you could understand. And there was no, no one else saying that who had quite the audience, who was accessible. Like, you know, before, you know, no one was going, there, there, were not, there weren't podcasts. There, I guess there were radio shows, but you didn't really listen to that. Um, they're, not, they're not broken down to something that I could understand at that age. I For just sure. felt like on 2020, you know? Yeah, no, John is John is really amazing, and he's been a fantastic mentor for me. I've I've loved working with him, and um, and actually, I've just been putting together a, a video for my channel. So he's been super supportive with my channel as well. And um, I just put a um a video together with my friend Josh where we we looked at tech in Israel, and that that's for my channel. That's something that that John actually has helped us put together as well, which he'll be uh, putting on his channel also. So that's you know that really nice symbiosis of of, of working with him and, and having him as a, a mentor. That's fantastic. Uh, so one more thing I wanted to ask you, well, actually, second to last thing I wanted to ask you uh, was about the Hard Fork TV series. How did you get involved oh, yeah. in that? And so the Hard Fork TV series is has been an amazing project. It's, um, it's this television series that... When I first discovered it, the tagline they were using or the genre they were using to describe it was crypto thriller noir. Like, isn't that the best genre you've ever heard of in your life? Crypto thriller noir. Like, what does that yeah. mean? Um, it's a whole new I, genre, crypto movies. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? And so this, I, I, I got learned about this project, this crypto thriller noir 
about this dystopian future where everything is run on this centralized blockchain run by this AI and everything is tracked. You know, your your mental thought patterns are tracked and and, and uh, saved in, in a blockchain and your health records are uh, tracked and, and uh, recorded in a blockchain and your, all of your purchases obviously are recorded so it, it sounds like everything we're working towards has gone horribly wrong <laughs> oh absolutely no well then it's the story of these de- decentralizers who come in uh, these renegades who want to break apart the system and uh, and decentralize uh, this tech so it's a really uh, I mean it's been such a wonderful project and I first got involved because I I found out that there was this team putting together this blockchain narrative this series and um and there were all legit people like i the director doug Carr, he's a sundance alumni the lead actor and, and writer one of the writers of the show he um came off he was on ozark netflix series he was on true detective he's in la at the moment working on a, on a new series um so these are all really great people in the industry and they're working on this blockchain project so i was like oh my god i have to be involved with this and um and it's been such an amazing journey like we've raised all of our money so far um in crypto uh whether it's through like dash proposals or steam it we raised all our incubation money there so um it's just been a whole lot of fun to work to uh work on but also just really gratifying creating a a, a mainstream high budget high production value series about blockchain i think that it needs to be done by people in the industry i think that it needs to the narrative needs to be correct you see so many like bastardizations of of this narrative whether it's in mainstream media just talking about the drug users and the underbelly right. um, i think that there's this whole other side of like freedom giving decentralization and distributed tech that hasn't even been touched so the fact that we have just this awesome film team and awesome blockchain team putting this project together is is really exciting for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm maybe I'll review it on the show uh, when it comes out. Sounds awesome. Um, okay, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up. Anything uh, else that uh, that you want to say? And also, um, if someone wants to hear more from you or look into your stuff, where should they go? Cool. Well, they can find me uh, on my YouTube channel, which is Naomi Brockwell TV. And I'm also on Twitter, Naomi Brockwell. And I'm on like a trillion other <laughs> social media platforms. Very so easy to find. A lot of, of de- decentralized platforms, Bitchute, Steam at yours.org, memo.cash, minds.com, um, yeah, library.io. Like uh, I'm, I'm on a lot of different places. So come, come find me and say hi. All right. Well, I will try to find as many of those as possible and put them on localmaxradio.com slash 37. Awesome. And then I have all of my videos are also released as podcasts as well. Those are awesome. I think I'm going to play uh, a clip from one of your music videos (laughs) at the end of this show. So keep keep listening for those of you who are listening. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for, for coming on. I, you know, I really appreciate it. It really helps me out because I'm just, I'm getting started and I'm building this audience. And if you check out the website, you see I'm building this kind of library of, uh, of discussion topics related around technology and software and, and yes, freedom and all that. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Now, first, I want to invite you yes, you, a listener of The Local Maximum, to share your thoughts uh, with me by email at localmaxradio at gmail.com. 
I'll read your insights on a future show. I came up with three focus questions for my interview with Naomi. So the first one is about inflation and investment. We talked about how, you know, it's not a good strategy to leave cash under your mattress or in a bank for decades. That's why people have these retirement accounts, you know, these 401ks and these pension funds, for example, that are then invested, even though the owners don't really know anything about what they're invested in. So if we could somehow create an asset and Yes, Bitcoin is too volatile right now and all the other cryptocurrencies even more so, but in the nearish future, in the nearish, you know, future, if we can create an asset that you would be comfortable putting money away for many years, what's the effect on our economic system on retirement and uh, and on the markets because a, a lot of the money that is available for investment would be, you know, different money. And so, uh, question number 2, uh, is the same question that I asked Naomi is what are the implications of capital control walls coming down? You know, legal or not, governments won't be able to stop large amounts of money from leaving their country. So that can imply a lot. Uh, besides more freedom, uh, there, you know, there's a lot more that can happen. You know, what happens? Who, who are the winners and losers? Who, um, what are some unintended consequences there? What, what effect will this have on the world state system and the global economy? So that's kind of a question that I want to leave out there. And I want to get ideas from the audience. And finally, number three, you know, we're innovating like crazy in the Bitcoin blockchain space here in the U.S. Uh, and in other tech hubs around the world. Obviously, there's, you know, Europe, Japan, Israel, uh, China's big into it. And yes, there's a lot of innovation in the developing world. But it's tough to bring this technology to the average person there in the developing world. You know, that's because people might not be technologically savvy. Um, you know, when I was in Ghana, and, and this is like a moderately underserved part of Ghana, not the developed part or the, the wealthy part and, and not the most remote part either. But and, and I was doing some you know volunteer work there and it was very difficult to get people set up on things like e-commerce even though they, they got the concept and they wanted to sell the world so they wanted to sell to the world so badly. Um, or, you know, in, in other instances, people might be afraid of their governments, like in Venezuela, for example. So what are some strategies for using this technology in the unbanked world? So those are my three questions. If you want to respond to those questions or anything else, I look forward to hearing from you. I don't get to every email every day. But I will read it, I will respond, and uh, there's a good chance I'll talk about what you said on the air. Okay, I know I said I would bring up Naomi's YouTube video, J-Pop, Bitcoin's going to the moon. Let's bring up the clip. If, if you're not intrigued by that, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. Naomi Brockwell TV is the channel. By the way, I highly suggest that you read the lyrics. You probably heard some words that you know in there. The lyrics of the part you just heard are, Who are you, Mr. Nakamoto? A Japanese person who only speaks English? 
Thank you from all of us. You are a dream. And then the chorus starts with Bitcoin is going to the moon revolution. So, so much fun. All right. Now, for those of you who are counting, my time off from work has just come to an end. Yes, my first day back at Foursquare was Monday, October 22nd. Sabbatical is over, but a lot of the great things uh, came out of it. So that will produce some podcast episodes down the line and hopefully some major projects as well. Um, this weekend, for example, I was up in Massachusetts, close to the border with New Hampshire. We stayed in uh, New Hampshire, actually, and I held my fourth tech retreat. That's something that I hold with my friends every so often. One of the things that we do is make predictions about the future. And what's even more fun than that is to review what you said in the past. It sort of forces you to change your thinking. So what was I predicting in 2015, 2016 for this time? You know, what did I get right? What did I get wrong? And um, we did a little panel on that. We talked about chatbots, crypto, online communities in our panel, our live panel during the retreat at, uh, at Aaron's dining room table. So you have to look forward to that next week on The Local Maximum. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power. And she said, I don't care what you say. You're gonna